0: You know, as I reflect on the craziness of Christmas, um, you actually realize that's what Christmas is. Christmas can be crazy. Even the very first Christmas, uh, when it happened, it was it was it was it was something, as as they say. Um, I mean, if you were there with Mary and Joseph when Jesus was born in that stable, and you were there, and you said, "You know, Mary and Joseph, this is so exciting. I can't believe we are going to celebrate this moment." Every year, they would think you were crazy. Who would celebrate? I mean, their animals were in the poop was all around. There's no room at the inn. They were stressed. It was chaos. Um, I mean, for lack of a better term, that first Christmas was really—it was a bit of a mess. Uh, and that's what actually we want to look at this morning in our passage in Matthew chapter one. If you'd like to turn there with me, uh, and the sermon there title there is not a typo. It's not Merry Christmas. It. This is messy Christmas. But a messy Christmas, and this is the lesson I hope we learned. a messy Christmas is still a Christmas worth celebrating. And if you want to follow along with me as I read uh, from Matthew 1, these are some probably very familiar words of the Christmas story. Matthew chapter 1, beginning of verse 18, we're going all the way to verse 25. And we're told, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and they called his name Jesus. Let's pray together. Father God, pray that just in the busyness, the bustle, the hustle of Christmas time, that Lord, you would just take these few moments in our lives, in our hearts, just to make it all calm and all bright and just bring stillness into our hearts as we just take some time to reflect on the truth of Christmas and what that truth means to us. Uh, Lord, as people who live in this world, which is a fallen world and a crazy world and a busy world and a messy world, uh, Lord, uh, we just we, we, we celebrate the difference that the Messiah makes uh, in our lives here today. We pray that you would be with us, the Lord be our honored and invited guest, that Lord you would send your Holy Spirit among us to just help us to apply this truth deeply to our lives. And Lord, we welcome you here among us in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it was Sir Alexander Fleming uh, who made the discovery of penicillin. That happened way back in the year 1928. And penicillin really, it, I mean, it was a discovery that changed the world, uh, where, you know, before any infection could lead to death, penic- it was a game changer. And the discovery of penicillin was made sort of simply by accident when a speck of dirt or dust just happened to fall sort of in the lab on an uncultured you know, plate in, in the lab of Alexander Fleming. And it's said that years later, uh, as Fleming was giving a tour, uh, they were taking him through one of these modern research laboratories that they'd you know, built, and he observed with interest you know, the sterile, dust-free, air-conditioned environment in which the scientists now worked, which is so much different than the environment he, he, he worked in. And that was when one of the workers walked up to him and said, you know, what a pity you didn't have a place like this to work in. Because imagine what you might have discovered in a lab like this. And Fleming answered the man with a smile and simply said, well, it wouldn't have been penicillin. Uh, Because he needed the mess. He needed the dust. And you know, you've probably heard the saying, you know, what is it? The cleanliness is next to godliness. But, you know, sometimes in life, we discover that a little bit of messiness can have unexpected results and you know just over two thousand years ago as the events of that very first Christmas unfold it um, would it'd be pretty accurate to say that things got a little bit messy you know the road that led Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem it was full of pitfalls and obstacles and detours that they never saw coming but it's out of those disappointments and discouragements that we, we learn the Savior is born. It is out of this messy situation that God's promise of Christmas takes shape. And Matthew actually sets the scene for us, beginning in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1. Where he says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. And we're just going to stop there for a moment, because you realize this Christmas didn't start out messy. Um, and you can think of this moment in verse 18 when we stopped reading. This is the before picture. Uh, this is like, you know, this is like when you've spent the morning cleaning your house. And it's just, it's pristine and you just take a moment to appreciate how wonderful your house lit, looks, you know, for 30 seconds before your kids come through the door and just wreck everything. Um, in fact, back in Bible times, this, this was a great beginning. 2,000 years ago, this was the way all good love stories began. It's likely that this betrothal would have been arranged by Joseph's parents when he was old enough, you know, to marry. And as any good parent would, I'm sure that they were, you know, were keeping an eye out, you know, for a young woman who would be, you know, a suitable bride for their son. Maybe Joseph even asked his parents about that, you know, that sweet girl in the village who caught his eye named Mary. Because Mary was a good match. You know, we're told in the Bible, Mary, you know, and Joseph, they both had godly character. Uh, in Luke's gospel, Mary is favored by God. And even in our passage, verse 19, it says Joseph was a just man. Great character. And not just that, but both of them are distant relatives you know, from, from the royal family of Israel. They, both of them could proudly trace their family trees all the way back to King David himself. And of course, this was only the betrothal. Uh, we would probably call it the engagement period. Uh, both Joseph and Mary would would still live you know, on their own with their own parents until the actual wedding took place, which usually was more than sort of a year or even more uh, time later. And yet this betrothal ceremony, when it happened, it would have sealed Joseph and Mary's future together as sure as any vow. From that moment, they were pledged to one another. If they were betrothed, if Joseph had died... Mary still would have been considered a widow. Uh, If either Joseph or Mary were unfaithful to each other, it still would have been deemed adultery and was punishable by death. But you know, it's unlikely that either of them had time to think about any of that negative sort of stuff, when in their own minds, both Mary and Joseph, they knew that they had found the person they were going to spend the rest of their lives beside. And I'm sure when that betrothal happened, they began dreaming all of those dreams of life together. You know, Joseph running the carpenter shop, Mary, you know, taking care of the home, you know, building their first house with room for a growing family, the the pitter-patter of little feet, little Joseph Jr. bouncing on Daddy's knee, you know, and the hope of a growing love between husband and wife, and even, you know, growing old together. That's the kind of things you dream about. That is until the unthinkable happens. As our passage continues in verse 18, we're told before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. And you know, this is where Christmas, this Christmas story sort of meets real life. This is where things begin to get messy. I mean, you look at the trouble. That they now find themselves in. We have a pregnancy out of wedlock. There's this strained relationship between Mary and Joseph. There's talk of divorce and each of them going their separate ways. And in that moment, there must have been so much heartache and disappointment and just feeling like their hopes and their dreams and almost everything else around them was just crumbling. And you know, even after Mary and Joseph sort of work things out and they decide to stay together, they still find life handing them problem after problem. We know from Luke's gospel, they also faced a long journey to Bethlehem. When they arrived there, there's no room at the inn. And after that, after Jesus' birth, they were hunted by Herod. They had to flee to a foreign land. And when you look at all that happens to them, I don't think any of those things were things that either Mary or Joseph had really been hoping for in the plan they'd made for their own lives. And we don't really think about that very much. You know, the Christmas story has become sort of so familiar to us as we retell it every year that we kind of begin to overlook the fact that this would have been a crisis for this young couple. You know, we've sort of in equal parts romanticized and sanitized the Christmas story. You know, just as a small example, um, I like nativity scenes. Um, You know, they're great. There's one right there. You know, there's the, the baby Jesus and the shepherds and, you know, Mary and Joseph and the angels. and You know, they're wonderful. But keep in mind that if these little nativity scenes that we have in our houses were actually realistic in every way, you would have to leave them outside because they would smell so bad. Like, this is a barn that we're talking about. This is no place for a baby. Writer Philip Keller tells us what that first Christmas might have been like, saying, The sheep corral filthy as only an eastern animal enclosure can be reeked pungently with manure and urine that accumulated across the seasons. Joseph Cleared a corner just large enough for Mary to lie down. Birth pain started. She writhed in agony on the floor. And there, alone, unaided, in the darkness, Mary delivered her son. For a young girl and her new husband, I can't see any way that that moment wouldn't have been terrifying. I mean, I was stressed when my kids were born and I was in a hospital room with doctors and nurses. I can't imagine what they were going through. But you know, even in all of that that they had to go through, even in the, all of the mess of that first Christmas, there are lessons that we can learn from this story. Lessons that I think speak very powerfully into our lives when there's messiness going on there. These are lessons We can learn from a messy Christmas. And that's what we want to look at this morning. Because I think the first lesson that we can learn is that God is Lord over the mess in our lives. God is still in control. Look again at verse 18. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. You know, when Matthew says that, he's not implying that, the, you know, this is the way it happened, but it was all just by chance. It just kind of unfolded like this. No, he's saying that Christmas happened the way, uh, the, the way that it did, was because that's the way God was planning for it to happen all along. Everything happened this way precisely because this was the road that God had laid out for Christmas to happen. Every bump, every turn, every detour of that first Christmas. Was ordained by God Himself. In fact, lit, later on, He even says, you know, it, it happened in this way to fulfill what the Lord had promised. And as much as we may, you know, look at the messiness of this Christmas, the way it happened, you know, it, it, it appears messy from the outside, we know for a fact that God, in doing these things, was perfectly fulfilling His promises that He had made through Mary and Joseph and this journey to Jerusalem. It was a fulfillment of prophecy. In fact, more than four centuries earlier, prophet Isaiah wrote, The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive, and she will give birth to a son, and he shall be called Emmanuel. Matthew uh, Matthew quotes that. And a quarter of a century before Isaiah, Micah wrote, You, Bethlehem, though you are small, the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will rule Israel, whose origins are from ancient times. It's another prophecy that was fulfilled. You see, the birth of Christ, it was no accident. It was not sort of a quick fix that God came up with at the last minute. God is not just sort of making it up as he goes along like, oh, I've that Messiah thing I promised. Let's get something together on that. No, this is not sort of a fake it till you make it kind of moment for God, as my kids would say. This is Christmas, again, exactly as God planned it. Right down to the finest detail. And just to give you an, exa- a, an idea Just how in control God was in this moment. There's a book written several years ago called Science Speaks, uh, written by a guy named Peter Stoner. And he applies the science of probability to just eight prophecies regarding Jesus Christ. He says, the chances that any man might have fulfilled all eight promises, all eight prophecies, he says one in 10 to the 17th power. That would be a one followed by 17 zeros or one 100 quadrillion. And he says, just to let you know how wonderful that is, if you were to take 100 quadrillion silver dollars and dump them into the state of Texas, they would fill the entire state to a depth of two feet. The chances of any one person fulfilling those promises is the same as if you were to mark just one of those silver dollars and stir the mass thoroughly and then blindfold a man and tell him he can travel as far as he wishes and give him one chance to find that silver dollar. And then he says, and that's only one chance. That's only the chance of fulfilling only eight of the prophecies about Christ. And yet Christ fulfilled every one of them. God's plan came together perfectly to the smallest detail in Christ and through the lives of Mary and Joseph. So this messy Christmas was a moment that God had been waiting for and planning for and preparing for. For thousands upon thousands of years, the Lord had guided every step to this place. Every second of every day, without fail, God moved the universe closer and closer to the birth of our Savior, in that stable. Kingdoms came, kingdoms went, nation, conquered nation, but the hand of God was shaping the course of human history to bring us to this exact place, with these exact people. You know, maybe you're feeling like in your life that your life is a little bit messy this morning too. Maybe you too are facing some unexpected challenges. Maybe you're feeling like Mary and Joseph probably felt that things are out of, out of your control. They sort of sent your life sort of spinning into free fall. Because we've all been in a place like that. The lesson of the messy Christmas is that God is still in control. That God is still a person, one that we can trust. He is still sovereign over all of those things. And he's not abandoning you. He's not forsaking you. He's not punishing you to make you miserable. Instead, what we should see is that God is at work. And he can use all of that messiness of our lives to take us to a new place, to experience him in a new way, to give us a new hope, and to glorify himself in doing so. Because God is Lord over the messiness of our lives. Which brings us to the second lesson of our passage. And that is, our response to the messiness is obedience. Uh, Look at verse 19. Her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit." She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You know, Joseph had a choice. Just like any, uh, any one of us has a choice in the messy situations of our lives. And, you know, Joseph could have become angry. He could have become vengeful. He could have held a grudge against Mary. You know, he could have walked away from the entire situation and washed his hands and moved on. But even in the midst of the the mess that his life was about to become, we see that Joseph chose obedience to God. We see that decision beginning in verse 24. It says, When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And you know, when you're in the middle of a mess in your life, when things are just not going the way you expected them to to, to go, there's no better advice that I can give you than for you to do the same. To say, Lord, I don't fully understand what you're up to in, in, in whatever you're doing here, but I will live fully for you in everything that comes my way no matter what. I'm gonna obey. And you know, Joseph had no idea when he woke up that next day after the dream That 2,000 years later, we would still be celebrating his act of obedience. He had no idea there'd be, you know, nativity scenes with his figure on them or little cut-out cardboards in front of churches. He had no idea that little boys all over the world would be playing his role in the local Christmas pageant. He had no idea of any of that or what the future held. All he knew was that in taking Mary as his wife, he was doing the will of God. He was a normal person in a tough, situation who decided, I'm going to be obedient to God no matter what the cost. I notice too that for Joseph, obedience obedience like that was probably the harder decision to make. This is not the easier path for Joseph. You know, if Joseph had walked away from Mary, gave her the, gave her the divorce, chances are, He could have gone on to fulfill all of those dreams he had in another way. He could have found another woman to marry. He could have raised another family. He probably could have lived a pretty fulfilling life by the world's standards. And he certainly would not have had to live with the stigma and the derision of his neighbors that a pregnancy out of wedlock would have carried. But Joseph still obeyed. He still did as God commanded. Even when obedience meant hardship, even when it meant ridicule, even when obedience meant giving up on his own hopes and dreams and the you know the perfect life that he had always wanted he chose to obey and as much as joseph probably would have preferred anything else he chose to obey and he just he he wanted to be in god's will and that's where god wanted him to be and he could do that because he had learned another important lesson about a merry christmas our messy christmas and that is In the middle of our mess, we can trust in the character and the promises of God. You know, when you look at this passage, you could ask, why was Joseph willing to surrender so much? That he would lay aside, you know, his own hopes, his own dreams, and just take Mary as his wife. And the answer is, he could do that because in the dream, God speaks a truth to Joseph that changes the way he sees his circumstances. And in doing that, God also makes him a promise. God gives him the promise of a Savior. And Joseph knew that when God makes a promise, it's a promise that he's gonna keep. So let me give you just a little bit more advice. When your life gets messy, when things aren't going as planned, when you feel like your life has just gone off the rails, even when you're afraid of the future, you don't know what it holds, Take a moment to take comfort in the Word of God and the promises that He makes to you as His child. One of the best things that we can do when we're facing hard times is get into the Word of God and remind ourselves of the truth and the faithfulness of God. Because the promises of God are there to remind us that there's more to life than just the mess that we're in. The mess is temporary, the promises of God are eternal. I've told you this before, but you know, when Kathy was sick, my wife, she would write out Bible verses on these little cards that she would often just go back to and read over and over again to remind herself of the promises of God. And it brought her great comfort during a very difficult time. Verses like Psalm 23, verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Trust in the Lord always, for the Lord God is our eternal rock. Psalm 46, 1, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares on the Lord because he cares for you. Joshua 1.9, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And even Jesus himself in John 16.33 says, I have told you these things so that in me you will have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Words like that bring us assurance and comfort And hope. And you know, just as Joseph could rest upon the promises that God made to him, so we too can rest in the promises that God makes to us through his word. When you're in a messy situation, get into the word of God and trust in what he says. Which brings me to the final lesson um, that we have before us this morning about a messy Christmas. And that is that God enters into the messiness of life with us. And this is the big lesson. Verse 22, 23. Since all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And you know, Jesus, the birth of Jesus, Christmas time, I don't always know what people out there are thinking about it. Because, you know, if you went and just asked people on the street, who is Jesus? You get lots of different answers. You know, some think he was a great teacher. Others think he was a prophet. Some think he was a healer. Some say he was a philosopher. Some say, you know, he was a martyr. To some, he's, Jesus is no more than a cuss word. But there's something about that child that was born in a manger that each of us needs to know. He's Emmanuel. He's God in the flesh. He's the Son of God. And we need to know that God himself entered into this world to be with us, to be where we are so he could be our Savior. That's why he came. 1 Timothy 1 verse 5 says, this is a trustworthy saying and deserves full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. We read in Romans 5:8, but God shows his love for us in this that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And again in 2 Corinthians 5:21, God made him who had no sin to be for, sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And that was God's plan all along. And I'm sure I tell you this again every year, but Christmas is about God breaking into the world of men as a baby. It's about the love of God that would not sit idle on the sidelines while mankind died in their sin. It's about God making good on his word and then being willing to pay any price, even death on the cross, to show himself faithful. Because when you get right down to it, Christmas is... About the cross. It's about Christ and the sacrifice that He is willing to make in our place so that we could be forgiven. Christmas is about God sending us a Savior. And that Savior was God Himself. Jesus was born in a manger so that He could die on a cross to forgive us our sins and to set us free. And you know, I thought this week about what would have happened if Jesus had instead been born to royalty. You know, what if Jesus was born to a king and a queen instead of a peasant girl and a humble carpenter? What if he was born to privilege? You know, when he was born, he would wrapped in silk and he would have had the finest doctors and ate the finest foods and had all of the best care. And yet God chose instead to send his son into some some of the hardest and most desperate of circumstances. So that Jesus knew what it meant to struggle and have hardship and to suffer. He knew what it was like to be hungry. He knew what it was like to thirst. He knew what it was like to just be weary. He knew what it was like to be human. Because Jesus wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty. He wasn't afraid of a little messiness. And Jesus came to be part of not just our messy world, he came to be part of our messy lives as well. You know, Max Licato writes, God, God could have called him the reverend, holiness, angelic deity Third, But instead he was named Jesus. A name so common at the time there were probably two or three in every classroom like Bob or Joe or Matt. He had a name that was common and was a man who was touchable, approachable, reachable, and for the most part, Ordinary. He's the kind of guy you invite over to watch football and girls' stakes with in the yard. You can almost hear him say, just call me Jesus. Because Jesus is a relevant Savior. He didn't live far off in a castle saving the world. He was in the streets, meeting people, getting dirty, struggling to make ends meet. And there's not one hint of a person who's afraid to draw near to him. There were those who mocked him. There were those who were envious of him. There were those who misunderstood him. But there's not one person who is reluctant to approach him out of fear of being rejected. He says, remember that. Remember that the next time that you're amazed at your own failures. Remember that the next time you're finding it hard to forgive yourselves for your past mistakes. Remember that when you're alone and afraid. Remember that Jesus is a Savior who never rejects those who come. Because Jesus came for you. And don't let that truth get lost in the hustle and the bustle of the season. Don't lose sight of the fact that Christmas, with all of its fascinating characters and events, is really for one purpose. To deliver us a Savior who wants to be with us. And that's the true message of Christmas. And that's why the messiness of Christmas matters. You know, we don't need to tidy up the story. We don't need to sweep the manure from around the manger. We don't need to pretend that Mary and Joseph didn't have moments when they weren't terrified. Because the Savior came to be part of the messy world and part of our messy lives. God took on flesh to be with us and to offer us hope and to be our Savior. And maybe you're here this morning and And you feel like your life is a little messy right now. Maybe you're going through a hard time and you're not sure how you're going to get through it. Maybe you're disappointed. And there's problems sort of piling up all around you. Maybe you can't even see anything good for miles ahead. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you're afraid. Maybe you're feeling lost. You need to know that Jesus is willing to be there for you and with you in the middle of all of those things. He wants to be there for you. It, because Jesus, again, is not afraid of a little bit of messiness. He's not afraid of a whole lot of messiness either. And that stable in Bethlehem is a reminder to all us all. There's no place that Jesus is not willing to go to be there for his people because he is our God, he is our Savior. And even a messy Christmas can be a merry Christmas if we invite Christ in. Let's pray together. Father God, um, as we look at our world, as we look even at our own lives, Lord, I realize that so often life can be messy. Uh, things can go in ways we don't expect. Things don't work out the way we plan, the way we hope, the way we dream. Sometimes life gives us detours that we never expected and we certainly didn't want it. And Lord, sometimes Sometimes life is full of a whole lot of pain and sorrow and hurt. And yet, Lord, in the midst of that hardship, in the midst of all, all those moments when our life just gets messy, we are so encouraged to know that you are with us and that you want to be with us. And that's why our Savior came, to enter into this world to be with us. And we don't have to clean up that mess for you to be welcome, Lord. You enter into it with us. And you walk the journey beside us. And Lord, we thank you for the lessons of the mess. We thank you that, Lord, you are in control and you are sovereign over all the messiness in our life. We thank you that, Lord, we can live in obedience even when things are going so wrong in our lives. We thank you that we can take comfort in the promises of your word find strength when we feel just overwhelmed. But Lord, most of all, we thank you that, Lord, you are a God who is with us, a God who came to be with us, to be our Savior, to give us a Merry Christmas, even in the messiest of Christmases in our life, as we embrace a Savior who is there for us. In Jesus' name, amen.